You're listening to the awesome Podcast Network. theme music blah 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 welcome back everybody to the haunted hootenanny of horror for our annual halloween horror month here on 80s revisited as always to the best of my knowledge i am trey harris with me as always my own producer friend never deadly except when threatened jesse sedgley yes i am and you are human correct jesse you're not a reanimated yes, corpse with a microchip i am you said that very humanly so i believe you Anyway, everybody, continuing our, I, I guess, it, I, honestly, I'm starting to doubt like Wes Craven after this one. Seriously. Our, uh, <laughs> anyway, tr- our tribute to Wes Craven, our paying homage to, uh, you know, who, someone I thought was such an auteur of cinema in so many different ways. I have to say my faith has been wavered. I'm doubting my faith in mm-hmm. the Cravoflic, I can't try to make it, Craven Catholic, Cravelic, Craven <laughs> Preventlic Church, something like that. But I ruined the joke. Don't worry about it. Let's move on. Church anyway, so there you go. <laughs> Honorary or Holy Church of. You said it better. I'll just let's let's move on. Anyway, so this week we're talking about Deadly Friend. Wes moves into sci-fi territory with this one because, uh, in case you didn't notice, a better title for this film would be Terminator meets Frankenstein or Frankenstein Terminator. That uh, copyright age visited two thousand. 21 uh, for Frankenstein Terminator, a film that we'll make one day. Uh, but anyway, this one is wow. Let's let, <laughs> let, let, let's get all the facts out of the way, and then we'll talk about it. But anyway, Deadly Friend, the second film that Craven did with the deadly uh, wouldn't be a prefix, but uh, first word, you know, Deadly Blessing. We covered earlier, Deadly Friend. As mentioned last week, you should have done one more movie with Deadly in the title, so we could have the Craven Deadly trilogy, which kills your time, and you wish you had it all back after watching them. But anyway, October 10th. So, hey, props. It released in October. Although, to be honest, that doesn't help it one bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1986, IMDb 5.6, which is a little generous to my opinion. Just a little by a 0. 0.6. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 8% critics, 38% audience. Couldn't find an exact budget. However, it did open at $3.8 million. That was good enough to make it number four for the week. However, it had no chance in hell of anywhere coming close to number one, which was Crocodile Dundee, mm. for, which was number one for the third week in a row. And just to also kind of timestamp the time frame we're talking about here in the 80s, Top Gun was still playing. It was number six. It was number six for the weekend for its 22nd week. Wow. Films don't do that anymore. Like, that is so, like, I was like, 22 weeks and it's still number six? Crazy. But of course, that's before streaming. Yeah, you know, you had your video stores. That was to do in the world. Yeah, <laughs> if you want to see Top Gun again within the next year, you know, you had to go to the theater to see it again. So it had tons of rewatch value, obviously. And you know, people coming lately. Oh, let me just see that Top Gun movie where he's talking about it still playing because I don't want to see a movie called Deadly Friend. And it would go on to domestically grossed Deadly Friend. That is eight point nine million dollars. So I, I I think it's pretty safe to say that's nowhere near what the budget was for this film. If it didn't make money, I'd be absolutely shocked based on just the look of it. I mean, this looks like backlot, recycled prop, not too many location type film. Mm. So I really think it, you know, he made it made money. I'm pretty sure. Uh, of course, Wes Craven directed it, as mentioned. If you don't know who that is, go fuck yourself. Uh, right, written by Bruce Durbin. Now, I like this guy. He also wrote Deep Impact, which I don't care for. Although we had Morgan Freeman as the president, which was badass. But he did write Ghost, the Patrick Swayze one. Jacob's Ladder, the original, uh, with uh, Tim Robbins, whose birthday was earlier this week. So happy birthday, Tim Robbins, from everyone here at 80s Revisited. And he also wrote uh, one of the few romantic-type movies that I really like, and that's The Time Traveler's Wife with Eric Bana, criminally underrated 
and I think another uh, uh, an Aussie actor as well. So, all right, Ben, we're giving tons of you know Australian references, even though you're from Tasmania. But you know that area of the world, a lot of good stuff going on over there. And this was based on the book Friend by Diana Hinstel. More on the book versus the movie in just a minute. Cinematography was by Philip H. Lathrop. He also did the original Pink Panther and the Charlton Heston classic Earthquake. Uh, Earthquake had some good cinematography. This film, like I said, clearly a backlot. I mean, it's not a backlot. This is the weirdest looking subdivision I've ever seen. It literally, you know, occasionally you'll be driving somewhere and like you'll see a house like that house looks like it could be like the the establishing shot for a sitcom. Every house and every location in this film looks like that. So I truly believe it has to be backlot. Couldn't find any information on that, but I'm going to say it is. Uh, starring the famous Matthew Labatoro as Paul. Yep, that's right, everybody. Matthew Labatoro is in this wow. movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the sarcasm carries through. Anyway, he did a little bit of TV, but uh, this was actually his last film. He went into more voice acting. Uh, so if you're a fan of uh, Yu-Gi-Oh!, I believe that's how you pronounce it. I don't know because that was way after my time. Uh, he does a ton of voice work for that show. Uh, so he's still working, so good for him. And it's very good that he's not in front of the camera because he's this movie does, has a severe acting problem, in my opinion, uh, as evidenced by the character Tom, played by Michael Sherritt, who did uh, some miscellaneous TV. And to give you an idea of the acting caliber in this film, his last film was Theodore Rex with Whoopi Goldberg. So there you go. Uh, Richard Marcus was Harry. Now he's been in some good stuff. He's been in Enemy Mine with uh, Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. And he was also okay. So I'm, I'm staring every time they showed him. He's the abusive father in the film. Every time they show him, I'm like I know this guy. What is he from? I kept trying to place it. Couldn't quite place it. He was in Tremors. He was Nestor in Tremors. He's the dude who uh, jumps on a tire to get him off the ground and gets like sucked down through the tire. And you hear him screaming under the ground. Really cool kill in Tremors. Uh, and Tremors is an infinitely better movie than this one. And starring the lovely, in her first film role, Christy Swanson as the titular deadly friend Sam. Some short for Samantha, obviously. Of course, she was the OG, original Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm. She was also in Flowers in the Attic. She had a, a little part in Hot Shots. And she was the love interest in The Phantom, starring Billy Zane. But she still pops up and stuff all the time. She's a working actress. She's, she's done good for herself. And also starring the late, great... And Ramsey as not the Mistress of the Dark, but her character is named Elvira in this movie. Uh, if you don't know, if you don't immediately recognize her, shame on you. But throw Mama from the Train, Scrooge, and of course Ma Fratelli from the Goonies, one of the most iconic villains of the '80s, in my opinion. So, and she's you know, she's playing she she's basically Mama Fratelli in this movie. I mean, basically, <laughs> for the most part, uh, you know, basically lives behind a lock and key and runs out with a shotgun anytime somebody comes on her porch. Uh, and then Charles Fleischer, veteran of the podcast, he's the voice of BB, which he sure did a lot saying, BB, BB, BB. That's the extent of his work on this. But nevertheless, he was also in Nightmare on Elm Street, Back to the Future Part 2. But most importantly, he was the voice of Roger Rabbit and showcased his true talents of voice acting in that film. Not so much in this one. So, yeah, this movie, guys and girls and everybody in between, uh, like, it's it's. It's it's fun to watch once, but basically the overall premise is it's Frankenstein meets Terminator. Uh, Paul moves in this neighborhood. He is a literal genius because he has a base. He basically built a. Let's see, you have the T eight hundred as Arnold. He basically beat a beat. <laughs> Whoops. He basically built a T one hundred. Like this is like the origin. Like he's the one who goes on whose work gets copied by Miles Bennett Dyson to make Skynet in the future. Mm. Basically, makes a robot called BB. And he's cute. He's, he's short, pudgy. He kind of looks like a like a TikTok from Reven, uh, Return to Oz, sort of, but like not steampunky. More like '80s futurist kind of TikTok. Uh, he's huge. He's clunky looking. Doesn't look like he can do anything at all. Uh, but he, you know, he's he's smart. <laughs> he listens. I mean, he's he's basically R two D two for the most part in terms of his intelligence. Uh, to where he's like he wards off bullies. He carries the groceries. He opens locks for them when they try to not break into Mama Fratelli's house, but like uh, play Halloween prank by ringing, prank by, uh, ringing the doorbell <laughs> and everything. So that's kind of the setup. He's really smart. His neighbor is Christy Swanson, a.k.a. Sam. And uh, the second you see her, she hides a bruise on her arm and her dad's like, get in here, get in here. So no subtlety in the, in the <laughs> fact that she, her, her father is horribly abusive. 
so much that eventually he knocks her down the stairs and kills her. So, of course, Paul by this time is smitten with her. They've only known each other like a week, maybe. And uh, they're madly in love. And so, uh, oh, I, I jumped ahead of myself. Sorry. Anyway, BB is the first casualty because for Halloween, they go to ring the doorbell and run away from Mafratelli's. And the ki- uh, Christy Swanson is extremely clumsy and trips walking or running away from the door. So the guys run in and grab her. Instead of running away, they go further into her property and hide behind a bush. Hmm. And she comes out with a shotgun. So BB's like, oh, no, my human is in danger. That's what he's internal monologuing because he only says, BB, BB. So they're hiding behind a bush. And she's like, who's out there? And he like gets all Terminator vision, turns red, comes around the corner. She's like, oh, it's you. And she blows him the fuck apart with a double barrel shotgun in the most overacted scene I've ever seen. We're supposed to care about the robot. We, there, there, there's nothing done in this film to make you care about this robot at this point. He's cute looking, but there's no like humanity there. Like you see, like, you know, Archer Dito beeps too, but mm-hmm. it's conveyed in a, in a much better way that like, if something happens to R2, we riot, you know, you don't hurt, you don't harm R2D2. Uh, Johnny five, well, Johnny five says a lot of stuff too, but, uh, you know, so there's nothing, uh, to endear this robot to you. So he gets blown away. It's just like, cool, no problems. Bye-bye. But uh, Paul, the main character, gives the the most guttural, like, scream, like, screaming his heart out. Then this robot gets blown away because obviously that was his only friend. So overly dramatic. The robot gets blown apart. Mama Fratelli smiles and walks inside. So apparently they drag the robot away. He keeps the chip from BB's head, you know, the CPU. And there you go. We're watching it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so overdramatic. It's such a horrible. It's like it's 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 after school special quality. That part, like, it's is it is it's, I cannot believe Wes Craven did this. Like to be honest with you, like in terms <laughs> of the directing and everything. Now, uh, so basically, so BB's quote unquote dead. He's still got the the CPU, the central core processor, a th- learning computer uh, that he keeps with his picture of BB on his mantle. <laughs> And then, uh, so anyway, then, yeah, Sam dies. Her abusive father kills her. And, of course, the whole neighborhood comes out. And he's like, I told her to clean her stuff off the stairs. <laughs> and then gets in the ambulance with the daughter he just murdered to go to the hospital. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, they pull the plug on her. She's dead. So uh, Paul's like, oh, you know what? Here's the Frankenstein part. I tested my chip on a on a dead animal earlier, and it worked. I can I can bring Sam back to life with BB's chip. So there you go. And that, that thus leads us to the deadly part of this friend story. So they go steal the body, (laughs) him and uh, uh, Tom go and steal the body, bring it back home to his garage, perform this incredible procedure in his house where he just puts the, or no, they go to the school. I'm sorry. They go to school where he was like learning and with the professor there, basically put it in her head. Her foot moves. They bring her home. She slowly becomes more animated and like quote unquote alive. And I will say this, Christy Swanson does a great job of like acting and like, miming like robotic like a i'm not a person i'm i'm like i'm moving mechanically she does a good job really good job in that so basically sam slowly regains uh i should say bb slowly regains like consciousness so to speak and it's so funny because like they all they do is all they did was put the chip in her brain yet she is super strong she kills her father like with brute like superhuman robotic strength more on that in a little bit uh, but every time it shows her vision, even though they just put the chip in the head, it's it's the same vision as BB. And then by the end, it like kind of gets clear to where she can see like as a human. So you, you kind of get the impression that it's integrating with the body, and she's like becoming more human. BB's becoming more human, more Sam. But she's dead. So like you know, it, it's literally like a Terminator. It, imagine if for Arnold uh, in the Terminator, they killed Arnold, just took his skin off, like his literal skin, and put it over a robot, as opposed mm-hmm. to you know. How it's like living flesh. Well, they basically manufacture it to look that way, and it's meant to heal, and you know, it's it's meant to be over that. Uh, so yeah. So basically, Sam goes on a killing spree. She kills her dad, justifiably so, because he was an asshole when he beat and killed his kid. And then he goes. Some, then she goes for Mama Fratelli. And this is where, if you have not seen this movie, you have probably seen this gif some point in your life, where the woman screaming in a basketball hits her head and her head explodes. That is from this movie. <laughs> Uh, that's that's kind of what this movie's known for. That's the legacy this 
film has. You know, Deadly Blessing had the spider in the mouth, which I didn't even know about until I watched it and read about it. But if you haven't seen this movie and you, you're a horror fan, you've probably on somewhere seen the basketball hit the head and it explodes scanner style. That is the most famous thing about this movie. Uh, it's iconic thing of the movie, pretty much. And really what it's known for, because it's not a good movie. But anyway, to wrap it up, the bully comes back, Sam attacks him, cops come out. Uh, there's so much wrong with this film. Oh, by the way, uh, Paul actually, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Paul he actually drugs his mother. <laughs> and there's a literal scene in this film where he thinks he did too much when they come home from stealing the body. And he starts having a panic attack that he killed his mom on top of everything else going on. So it's there's so much silliness and just ridiculous ridiculousness going on here in this film. But uh, <laughs> we just watched the head, head scene. But that's... <laughs> <laughs> and then the body, you, you can see the person like hunched over holding the fake body with the real legs. You know, it it works, but it's, you know, we're watching it in a modern lens uh, yeah. at the time when that's all they could do. But yeah, so honestly, I didn't, I've seen this film on TBS, you know, on TV a lot of times. I remember seeing it one, I have seen the real version at least once because I've seen like all the gore and all that. Uh, I mean, honestly, this is a movie where if you go into the video store and you see the cover, the VHS cover was awesome. It's got Christy Swanson holding up her hands and it's got like metal coming through it. There's like a doorway in her chest. Like, you know, it's kind of like a collage sort of, but it's, it's a really cool poster. So the poster, I was like, Oh, this looks cool. It's like some sort of Terminator movie. Like this girl's like a Terminator as a kid. And then like you watch it, it's like, nah, it's, it's nothing like that. It's, I mean, Oh, actually it is. It is actually just like that, but the cover is cooler than the, uh, the movie. You know, the uh, the idea, I mean, honestly, I think this, the problem with this film is the acting is very bad. Uh, even like, you know, Chrissy Swanson is her first film. She goes on to do much better things. She does a good job with what she's trying to do. Ma Fratelli plays her typical part. And Roger Rabbit says BB a lot in different emotive styles. So that's the acting bag in this film. But it's... You know, like, it's again, watching it, like, and this is the same person who directed and wrote, granted, he didn't write this one, Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream. He's done, you know, Wes Craven, the original Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, you know, so he's done arguably four classics, two certified, you know, Hall of Fame horror movies. And, you know, I'm not saying that every director does something good, but this is just so, like, night and day either craven knocks it out of the park or it's just absolute mehness and this is pretty meh it's fun it's worth watching once it's better than uh deadly blessing i'd say i mean i like the sci-fi stuff the the, the gore in it is pretty ridiculous but you know it, it, it this is definitely you know if anyone wants to have the discussion is west haven west craven a hack who got lucky a couple times i'm not going to disagree with you that's up for discussion and interpretation but uh, he did have a lot of stuff going on at, at the point when he was making this movie, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, the biggest uh, – I guess we'll move on to the trivia now. But the biggest thing about this film – oh, and you know what, Jesse? I'm going so fast I'm on head. I didn't even ask you if you had ever seen this movie. No, I think we all knew the answer to that. <laughs> I, 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 I think subconsciously I did, so that's why I just kind of <laughs> kept on trucking. But, yeah, so not uh, – I don't know. I think I feel like the story is there is was here for like a good quirky horror movie, almost like a Fright Night style, as opposed to something serious and like heartfelt. Mm-hmm. But as we get into some of the trivia, you'll kind of see maybe under help help us understand why it went that way. But like I could see with with if Tom Holland, not Spider Man, but the writer director of Fright Night, and I believe Child's Play too, uh, you know, like did this, this probably would have been so much better. Because this story, you can't take it serious. It's so ridiculous. You really can't do it seriously. You need to do it with that, you know, where it's it needs to be aware of what it is. And it's absolutely not. Sometimes that works, in my opinion, rarely. For this film, not so much. So enough of my ramblings about the film. Hmm. Let's talk about the trivia. And let's try to understand why this film turned out the way it did. Because there really is, honestly, to be perfectly fair to Wes, uh, there's a lot of many reasons why it turned out the way it is. And as we're going to see, as we saw with um, previously the Hills of Ice too, how like budget stuff had him cut a whole bunch of stuff. We had to go resort to a whole bunch of flashbacks, including flashbacks from an animal. You know, he's honestly, Craven is awesome at doing that about like, Oh, 
I got studio interference. Well, let me at least finish it. At least he's, he's good at reaching the finish line despite circumstances. So a Freddie Fedora hat tip to that. But basically the original idea for this film, because again, the book is called, just called Friend. And and it, the title of the movie is Deadly Friend. So that it's really self-explanatory. Take out the deadly aspects of this movie and you get kind of what the original story was. Because uh, they originally wanted to make it uh, kind of more of a macabre love story between Paul and Samantha and uh, be a PG-13 supernatural slash science fiction slash thriller to where it was more so how the adults in the movie are just a bunch of assholes. However, the uh, the test audiences and the producers, of which there were like seven, eight, seven producers on this film, so you already got too many captains wanting you know to give input on it, and that never works. If you want to, you know, films need to have a, you know, it, we need to see the director's vision with maybe some notes from the producers to maybe adapt and change. That's what you want to see. That's what I think we should see because the director is meant to be the auteur of it. You know, if the producers come in and cut all this shit, they don't want their name on it. You know, David Lynch does it all the time. Uh, uh, Craven did it with what we say, Hills of Eyes 2, I believe. Basically disowned it. He's also disowned this movie. But his name still appears on the title, so you, can, you should use Alan Smithy uh, like Lynch did. But so, yeah, uh, I mean, the producers wanted more. They wanted to make it a horror movie because, like, hey, you're the Nightmare on Elm Street guy. This needs to be scary and blood and all this stuff. So pretty much all the any scene that involves blood in this movie was a reshoot. After the producers like, nah, this ain't going to fly. This has to be an R-rated People don't want to see what they want to see more Elm Street. They don't want to see some macabre supernatural science fiction thriller rated PG 13. Hmm. So that's that that leads a lot to it, part of it. Uh, and Christy Swanson also said that uh, for Elvira's death scene where she throws the basketball, she had to do it over a hundred times. Wow. She wasn't, no, she's in the she isn't the one that actually hits it to make it explode. <laughs> but Craven just wanted her to like every time she threw it, he didn't feel like it, it was getting enough showing enough uh, acting or force on her end, so to speak, to make it seem believable that it was going to hurt, like explode ahead. And of course I could have sped up the film because they do that in everything in that time. But, you know, they didn't. And they got the shot. But I mean, I remember in high school, you know, basketball practice, like shooting free throws for like 20 minutes and just being like, oh, dear God, my arms are killing me. So I can imagine throwing a basketball over 100 times. But hey, you know what? If I was on a movie... I'd do whatever they said, uh, you know, within reason. I would let them, you know, go into limo and put their finger inside me. Uh, well, if the money's there, All right. maybe maybe Trey wouldn't care. Wanna be a star, Just like anybody. You? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to put my finger inside you. Now get in the car. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, they had the reshoots. But also Craven, he was going through a, uh, a really messy divorce. He faced a $30 million lawsuit in court with someone who claimed not only to have written A Nightmare on Elm Street – but that Craven stole the story. And on top of all that, he was actually booted off two other projects, Beetlejuice and Superman 4. So he got lucky getting booted off Superman 4 for sure. Uh, and honestly, we all got lucky for Craven not doing Beetlejuice because I can't imagine anybody doing uh, a better job on that movie than Tim Burton. Uh, although, however, again, alternate timelines, I'd like to see his version of it. But uh, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like seriously, like again, I like, I, I really, I think Craven is talented, but I don't know. I mean, when, cause even John Carpenter's stuff that's not as good is still actually pretty damn good. You know, Spielberg's movies that I don't like are still well done. I just don't like them. Uh, uh, Ridley Scott, you know, honestly, like for, well, he's, these are all kind of, all these are really kind of bad examples. Cause Ridley Scott used to be a goddamn genius and now he just keeps wanting to, destroy the alien franchise that he built. I don't know why he wants to do that. But anyway, you get the point. The uh the BB robot cost over $20,000 to build. And supposedly this was one little line on IMDb and I could find no other thing anything any other information to substantiate this. But apparently the robot from Short Circuit, Johnny 5, I'm using the words of the statement was recycled and used in the movie. So Johnny 5 was disassembled to make this shit mm. that is if, if true horrible one of the worst stories in Hollywood in my opinion because that was terrible all he wanted was not to be disassembled and they made him BB and then put him in Christy Swanson and then well if you well. get to the last five <laughs> seconds of the movie in just a minute uh, but however the, now the actual robot they did build he could lift 
over 750 pounds. So he could bench more than me. Cause you know, I'm, I can only bench 749. He could do 750 cause I'm completely lying. Uh, there was a, there's a scene in the film where, uh, I thought this was kind of funny. Again, anything with blood is a reshoot. And Sam has a nightmare in which her father attacks her when she basically breaks a glass vase and stabs him with it. And uh, she was supposed to hit a protective area inside of Nestor from uh, Trimmer's shirt. But during one take, she missed and it actually shattered on his chest and she got terrified. Uh, But in, in the same scene, the blood wasn't coming out correctly. So off camera, Wes is like, more blood, more blood. And this that nightmare scene in the film is so goddamn funny because it's the blood is squirting out of the vase you know a very thin vase for like two flowers and that's how you know long you know a foot long and an inch wide so it's sticking out of his chest and blood is literally like like shooting out just like you would you know typical movie fashion and it's like it's literally hitting her in the face like every time so she's open like she's like ah because it's just it's so gratuitous and just silly it's such a just you immediately know it's a dream when you're watching it it's it's just so again if the whole movie had that tone this probably would be much better and much more entertaining being aware of how silly this is and and running with it embracing that that works so well when movies do that uh but it doesn't and that's what we're stuck with this hmm. so uh yeah let me see in an earlier rough cut of the movie instead of the ba- the iconic basketball death it was actually meant to be different sam was actually going to smash her through the front door leaving the upper half of her body hanging outside and the lower half still inside. You know, we're like, it's a glass door, glass front door. So like, you know, half of it is, I think it's half glass, half wood. So like, you know, half of her body's, she's laying, like she's laying over the door dead. Uh, And in fact, you can still see the broken door uh, when they show, when they're bringing out her body on a gurney. Uh, So, you know, they did, they did a good job of that doing the basketball kill. Cause again, and also instead of doing, you know, if you're going for more of a macabre supernatural sci-fi thriller going through the door is the more logical choice as opposed to I'm going to take this basketball and explode your fucking head with it. Hmm. So again, like it's, uh, it's a really a missed opportunity. I think to like make this movie punch up the script, add some more humor, make it a dark comedy and you got gold. Don't make it a macabre love story. That was the, I think that was the real fault of this film to be honest. And the dialogue's bad and the acting's not that good. So there's a lot of stuff working against it. Now, in the um, the uh, now the end of the film is completely nonsensical because, as I mentioned before, all they do to Samantha is put a chip in her brain, just a microchip. A, 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 granted, a big ass microchip, uh, and then she has superhuman strength. She sees like the robot sees, you know, very grainy. I'm talking like 120 by 90 resolution. Very bad, even for the time. <laughs> So the last shot of the movie, uh, uh, what's the main guy's name? Paul. I can't fucking remember. Man. Yeah, Paul. He goes to the morgue to get her body to see her body again after the cops shoot her, and she's in there. She's like, "Oh, Sam!" And then like her eyes open, and she's like, "Oh, Sam!" And then she, Sam grabs his neck and strangles him as her face falls off, and we now have BB, the robot, in a little more humanoid form. He actually looks like a uh, goddamn. It's that robot from Ninja Turtles. Uh, Oh shit! I can't remember his name. Oh, I had the, the toy. Brain on his head. Uh, no, he was maybe he did have a brain, but it was, it was something with an F. I thought it was a really cool figure, but uh, oh god, fun. Oh man, I can't think of it. I know you're searching. It's a robot. Um, he was. Oh, I see. The, I see the picture. Yeah, future toy. That's exactly. That's what BB looks like <laughs> as he rips out of Samantha's skin, fully robotic. So that chip evolved to where it you know superman 3 turned her into a full-fledged robot or actually he just i don't know i mean it makes no sense it makes no sense because she's a she's a dead body you don't see her like taking metal and like putting it all up in herself to use it to convert into a robot no yeah. the robot just comes out of her like it was in there the whole time like a goddamn terminator <laughs> It is so goofy. Why, it, uh, and honestly, I, I forget about the ending every time I watch this. I've only seen this movie about three times, this time being the third uh, from start to finish. And I always forget about that scene till it happens because it's so stupid and just comes out of left field. However, the reason that, mo- that, that stupid, nonsensical scene is in the film is because uh, – what's the name? Uh, Mark Canton, who was the head of the studio, uh, said that 
I want this to happen. And pretty much the writer says, you don't tell the president of Warner Brothers that your idea is stupid. You just do it. <laughs> so that is the entire reason that scene is in the movie. Ugh. It's it's so bad. It's just like, what the fuck? And then the movie ends. Off, off camera scream, kind of like Dr. Loomis in the regular cut of Halloween 6. Off camera scream, Paul's dead, go to black. So that, But, you know, so the sequel is the robot is out there. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's walking around, not human, looking ridiculous. And the thing is, you know, he comes out of he comes out of Sam's face, and he's he's yellow. He's just like he Watching looked before. <laughs> it's so it's so dumb. And look at that horrible skin, like that horrible effects, <laughs> horrible horrible. <laughs> it's so, so bad. It's just dumb. It's really, you know, and it you know, in a dark comedy, that's a great ending. But this, again, this movie is not meant to be a dark comedy. It's meant to be a fucking macabre love story, and that's the problem here. Because all these, all the goofy shit that happens would be amazing, as I've said before, in a Tom Holland written and directed film, not in a Wes Craven trying to be, you know, real. I mean, serious. Because it's just, it doesn't work. It just does not work. Now, again, I mentioned this was based on a book called Just Friend. The ending of the book is way, way different. Uh, in the ending of the book, Paul follows Sam into the snow towards a bridge while police are chasing him. While they're on the bridge, Sam and Paul are fighting in the rain. Sam is on top of Paul and hugs him. But Paul it thinks that Sam is trying to kill him, and he kicks her so hard that she flies over the railing and crashes through the ice below. Very Frankenstein-ish, if you read the book. Uh, Paul then realizes that Sam wasn't trying to kill him, and she was actually holding him because she still felt love for him. And was actually trying to take him with her so they, they could have... Uh, oh, wait, I'm sorry, I misread. Was actually trying to take him with her when she would have jumped anyway because, quote, she did not want to go into the darkness alone. She wanted him with her. So when Sam yells, come, then Sam yells, come with me, Paul swan dies off the bridge into the icy water with the final line of the book being Paul's final thought. So this is what love comes to. What a dumb fucking ending. So there's no way to end this tale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, honestly, the movie, the movie is, I'm, Again, as I mentioned before, I'm fine with the movie ending how it does if this was a comedy. A dark, you know, if it was Fright Night, I'd be totally fine with that ending. It would work. But you this this is too much for a quote unquote love story. You know. I don't know who's the greatest director of love stories in the world. I don't know. Barbara Streisand? I don't know. Matthew McConaughey? Nineties Matthew McConaughey? I don't know. Those aren't directors, those are actors. Although Babs has directed. I don't know. Judd Apatow. You know, Judd Apatow does a comedy slash you know super drama that's two and a half fucking hours about this it might be bearable actually no because i hate judd apatow films because they're too fucking long uh most of them i should say not every one of them he's got some good movies don't get me wrong don't hate me so yeah that's the that's all the trivia there's real i mean i've said i've ad nauseum what i think about this film i give honestly i have a five but i'm gonna, I'm gonna knock it down one more i'm gonna give it a four because uh, the more I talk about it, the more I just ca- kind of see the talking about it with you and to everybody listening. I, I kind of like thinking about it more and like, yeah, it's not. It's definitely more of a four uh, in the in different hands in what could have been could have been great. I th- or it could have been like really uh, not great. That's too strong a word, but fun, much more fun of a film and everything. But as it is, you know, cool cover. Like if I, if I collected VHSs. Because, you know, that's a thing now because we, we, we've gone back to records and now we're going, you know, people are now collecting VHSs again. Uh, I would want the VHS because the cover, the cover's fucking awesome. The movie, not so much. Uh, the cover is better than the movie in, in, or in the original in terms of music. Uh, but yeah, I give it a five. And again, in the real world to date this, it released October 10th, 1986. Now, this I thought this was pretty cool. On the same day, if you lived in London... And you frequented the West End instead of going to see this or Crocodile Dundee at the theater. If they were playing overseas, I'm sure Crocodile Dundee might have been. I doubt this was in its first week. Instead of seeing this, you could have gone and saw for the very first time ever performed the longest running Broadway show in history, The Phantom of the Opera, as it opened at Her Majesty's Theater in London, England, Hmm. or a town I like to call Londinium. That's an IT crowd reference for all you fans (laughs) of that. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Jesse, I know you're a theater guy. What's your favorite song from Phantom, the musical? Uh, whew. I know in the uh, talent show in high school, I played uh, Music of the Night with a trumpet player. I played <laughs> piano. 
I don't think oh, that's wow, my that's favorite. Not... It's pretty good. Yeah, it went all right. Yeah. I don't have many memories just, of that, I, but... I just can't think of it with a trumpet. Because it's, I, I could hear, I could hear, you know, I could hear it beautifully on a piano in my head, but with a trumpet. Was he like doing like, I guess, the vocal, the vocal parts with part, the trumpet? Yeah. Okay. Huh. That could work, I guess. I don't know. I'm not a trumpet guy. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, music of the night is probably that one, and uh, of course, just the the, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, the title track. Uh, yeah, but uh, one of my favorite musicals, personally, the first one I ever saw, actually, and I've seen it. In New Orleans, Vegas, and actually, when we went to London for my mother's birthday, we took her to see it at Her Majesty's Theater in wow. London. So that was pretty cool. Super fan. I've never seen a Broadway show. <laughs> well, it's funny because I was I was telling all we were, somehow for some reason we were talking about this the other day. Oh no, she she mentioned some. Hey, they're doing a some local companies doing Fan of the Opera. If you want to take Violet, I'm like, first of all, she's too young. Second of all, we've seen it like three times. I don't need to see it again. <laughs> You know, if I ever see Phantom again, it'll be I'm not going to see it unless we go to Broadway. Because uh, I never never been to New York, never been to Broadway. So yeah, I'm going to New York, taking a Broadway show. Wayne's World, 1990 something, <laughs> whatever that was. But uh, anyway, Back to the Future this week. The the internet is a bu- is a buzz with the recent release of Halloween Kills, and I was exceptionally excited for this movie love the poster thought the the teaser trailer was great jamie lee's back i was a big fan of 2018's halloween uh aside from the doctor's artan Zartan sw- uh plot point other than that i thought it was fantastic one of the better sequels now i watched this friday night when it came out but we were playing D first hmm. and D went i'm in california my friends are all in louisiana uh so two hour time difference, and we went to midnight my time, so two a.m. their time. So I'm like, I'm, I'm and normally Crazy we play kids. for a, just a few hours, but I mean, we, I'm, I'm, and the, the the bad thing is, I'm anticipating we're going to be done playing by you know midnight their time, ten o'clock our time. So I got the drinks going by the, <laughs> and then they keep we they kept going. So by eleven o'clock, I was fucking wasted, <laughs> just because I just kept I was just like, did I, you get to that point where you're drinking where you kind of make that decision of like okay, I'm just going to finish this. And then like you refill it and you get thirsty. So instead of drinking water, you drink more drink. I made that rookie mistake. So by the end of D and D I'm fucking wasted. It's like my turn. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, God, I'd basically say, guys, look, I apologize. I really honestly figured we wouldn't be playing this late. So I, I ended up drinking too much. I am fucking wasted. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Just tell me what to fucking do. It's Cause I, I can't keep track of everything. And of course I have to play D and D via zoom. So it's, uh, it's not, I, you know, it, it, I make it work, but it doesn't, you know, it's harder than obviously being at the table. It's not as fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then after that, I'm like, I wanted to watch Halloween. I'm going to fucking watch Halloween Kills tonight. I've been waiting to see it. Fire up Peacock, watch Halloween Kills, why inebriated. Uh, and after watching it, I was just like, this sucks. Like, what the fuck did I, what is, what is this? What happened? So the next, I'm mad that I didn't watch it with her. We watched it again, which I was totally fine with because I didn't want to watch it without being inebriated because I missed a couple of things. Nothing major, but a few little things. But uh, basically, like, you know, it. I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. It's it's not terrible, but the whole – there's this whole plot line about the mob. Like, not not the not the mafia mob, no. but a, uh, the, the town mob because they, they bring back so many actors from the original first Halloween – only to basically, spoiler alert, slaughter ninety-nine percent of them. Uh, and they and Michael, uh, I almost said Michael Clark Duncan, <laughs> God rest his soul. Uh, Michael Michael Anthony Hall is Tommy Doyle from the original film, who was also played by Sir Politus Rudd in uh, Halloween Six: The Curse of Michael Myers. So they didn't get Paul Rudd, which is a shame, but they got Anthony Michael Hall, and he's pretty big now. Like he, he looks more, he's, you know, he was the, uh, the nerd or the brain in the breakfast club. And then like he, re- you know, the next, of course he was in a lot of teen movies. Don't get me wrong. Weird science, uh, 16 candles, veteran of the podcast. Uh, but then like, he was also in Edward Scissorhands as the bully. And in this movie, he's more like that character. Hmm. And by that, I mean, I can't fucking stand him in this movie. <laughs> uh, it's just so like, I th- it's a, it's a meme now practically on the internet for like in horror groups because uh, how many times they say evil dies tonight in this movie it's take a shot every time they say it you will be fucking dead uh, 
the mob stuff I did not care for at all. Uh, I think I the idea that they had like the, like I can understand telling somebody this story how it how it how it works. The and I'm, and honestly I'm disappointed because like first of all Jamie Lee Curtis is not in this movie but maybe ten minutes of screen time. Hmm. So that was disappointing. Uh, it was disappointing because there was no reason for her not to. Uh, and when she is on the screen, it's just like this super philosophical talk about evil. And basically her and, oh, uh, Will Patton lives from getting his throat slit and run the fuck over in the last movie. Miraculously, they just decide to gloss over the fact he got run over and just talk about him getting stabbed in the neck and how he lives because of that. But him and Jamie Lee Curtis have this big philosophical discussion that he has to die. He has to die. He uh, He's pure evil. So they basically, they go, and that's another thing that, it doesn't tick me off, but it's jarring because when they set out to do this new trilogy for Halloween, it was meant to be more grounded and a little more realistic in terms of reality. He wasn't going to be this supernatural boogeyman, which, okay, that's fine. I'm to- That's cool with that. You know, he's already survived a whole bunch of shit, so he's he's pretty tough. But by the end of this movie, he's, he is, he's, he's Jason Voorhees again. He is Michael Myers from, you know, part four on. You know, that can survive anything. He is evil. He's not just a man. So they went there, which now leads to the next one, Halloween Ends. How are they going? They, they proved that he basically, oh, it's, no, I'm not going to lie. This movie, Halloween Kills, is beautiful to look at. It's well shot, well lit. It's not badly acted, but the dialogue is the problem in terms of that. Uh, and honestly, they're like uh, the bar thing, talent show where the survivors meet at a bar and talk about what happened. That was dumb. It needs. It needed some more work to make it work. That part work. Every time Michael's on the screen, it's fucking awesome, except for one John Wick style kill, where basically this girl's running at him with a gun, and he kicks the door. He kicks the door of the car that she's running at him at, and the door he kicks it, and it hits the gun. The gun whips around, and she shoots herself in the face. <laughs> that is John Wick. That's not fucking Michael Myers. But other than that, like the the actor playing Michael is probably the best one. Like I mean, he he truly carries the menace and the brutality of like what they've made Michael in this new trilogy. Uh, so all that's great. The, like when he walks out of the burning house in slow motion, it's cheesy, but it, 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 at the same time, it is fucking awesome with a music Carp- John Carpenter score also better than the one from ha- uh, Halloween 2018, in my opinion. Uh, when he walks out and that score hits slow motion with the fire and he lays waste to the firefighters, it's badass. Don't get me wrong. My problem with the film, and again, no, I'm not expecting these films to be Citizen Kane or you know Halloween 1978 or original Nightmare on Elm Street. Not expecting that. But based on the talent involved and what they are going for, that's what I expected. And this fell short of that in some areas. Definitely not all. Uh, I wasn't going to say. the, uh, And then the, uh, basically when Michael goes full, like they basically kind of trap him, quote unquote, again, like they did in 2018. Uh, with the townspeople to beat him up. And when he go- just goes fucking like, they basically beat the shit out of him. Spoiler alert again. Sorry. But I mean, you know, we're sp- going to spoil the movies here. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he, when basically he's dead, like Judy Greer stabs him in the back of the head, practically he's dead. No man could live after this. And he pops up and just goes to fucking town on everybody in the fucking town. That's badass. Don't get me wrong. And then the ending, much like deadly, I almost said deadly prey, uh, deadly friend, is is very reminiscent of like five or six when it happens at the very end. It's just like, what? Why? What? This has to be, a, I'm like, I'm calling it now. I think it might be a dream because just the way it's shot and done, it just seems so awkward the way it happens out of just like, oh, I'm going to go up here and stand here for no fucking reason. That's just me. I don't know. But honestly, seriously, if you like Halloween, you're going to love the movie. It's it's The kills are badass. It's fun, but you know, it drives me crazy because usually the horror community has a reputation of being, you know, very accepting to all sorts of people, you know, and not like not being so judgy. I swear to God, like when, but when a new horror movie comes out, that's when everybody shows their true face. They, that's when they take off the Myers mask and reveal the fucked up face underneath. But like, oh, how could you not like this movie and say you're a fan? If you're not a fan of the Halloween, if you don't like Halloween Kills, you're not a fan. That's such a bullshit statement for anything. I didn't like Harry Potter too. Well, you're not a fucking fan of Harry Potter because you have an opinion. Anyway, not to go on a big soapbox about that shit. You can like what you like. If you like Deadly uh, Friend, 
hell yeah. I'm not saying you're wrong for liking it. I didn't care for it. I see where they can be where it can be improved, and I would like it. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is the Van Damme Street Fighter. That is not a good movie. I, I understand that, but I fucking love it and think it's amazing. And even if you don't like it, that's fine. The world, nothing has changed in the world by you not liking a movie that somebody else likes and vice versa. People on the internet, the 10 of you that listen to this, get over your fucking selves. Not that it's the people that listen to this, but somebody might listen to this one day in the far, far future and be like, wow, what a prophet Trey Harris was on 80s Revisited. Spouting that shit. The cult of 80s Revisited will rise to my visage and me and Jesse will be exalted as high priests of our new cult. I don't know. Going on weird tangents here. But yeah, anyway, Halloween Kills, fucking, you know, it's fucking, it's fucking, it's fucking great. Uh, it's good. It's not great. I enjoyed it. Like I said, I'll watch it. I'll, I'll, I'll absolutely watch it again. Uh, but I do see the potential of what could have been the best sequel period to Halloween, any Halloween, uh, as opposed to, uh, I still say Halloween 2. It's probably, the original Halloween 2 is still probably the best sequel. Uh, and also, they, David Gordon Green, the director, said that the next film, Halloween Ends, after this film, there's going to be a four-year gap between uh, – not the, not the, it's coming out next year, supposedly. But uh, storyline-wise, there's going to be a four-year gap. And the rumor is they're incorporating COVID into the movie, <laughs> which is fucking stupid, if true. And personally, I don't think it should be a four-year gap. The thing that's awesome about Halloween Two, uh, the original Halloween One and Halloween Two, is that it's the same night. You can watch it. You can end. You can end Halloween 1978. You can watch Halloween Two 1981, I believe, and it's always it's like one movie. It works. This one in Halloween 2018, play it back to back, fucking works. I'm disappointed that we can't have the next one and have this whole, you know, six hour epic that almost, in a sense, would play out in the course of a night because it's six hours long. You know, midnight to six a.m. kind of thing. If you get what I'm saying, you know, it, you know, it would do that because there's political, you know, I am, I don't mind political stuff in films at all. If it is done correctly, the first Halloween 2018, the first, or the David Gordon Green's first Halloween with Jamie Lee, there was a big thing about how it's going to incorporate like me too and all that. I didn't think it, I thought it did it subtly, you know, by just showing the resilience of the main characters being women and fighting and resisting, you know, it wasn't beating you over the head. Uh, Get Out's another great example. Us, you know, Jordan Peele, I think is really great about it. Uh, people just br- people bring too much into his movies as opposed to watching them. I think, in terms of Jordan Peele, for what he's saying, they bring too much outside into it to add to it, which is uh, which is unfair. Uh, but this one, because uh, now I could be overstepping because of how the, this world has taught us to view things as being you know politicized and everything has some meaning. But the mob scene. I've heard, I've heard and assumed it was based, it was maybe in, indulged more because of January 6th, 2021, 2021, excuse me, uh, with, you know, the riots, uh, the, you know, I, whatever the official, because if you say insurrection to a Republican, they get, it wasn't an insurrection. You say, you, you call it a riot to a leftist. It's like, no, it was an insurrection. Whatever it was that happened at the Capitol, the tragedy, there you go, because it was a bona fide tragedy. The tragedy that happened out of the United States Capitol on January 6th was supposedly like a something that they were playing on that mob mentality in the film, which it doesn't work in the movie. Like I said to me, the way they show it, uh, they try to save Judy Greer tries to save an inmate. That whole part was stupid. Sorry. It was dumb. It was completely unneeded. It was one of those things like uh, your main, your storyline is a tree. Imagine a tree with no branches, just a straight tree. I know those trees don't exist, but just imagine what, and then, you know, that that's your plot. And then you add a branch that's a branch that, you know, where do branches go? They, you know, they're superfluous. They fill in more information, but they never go back to the story. That's what that scene is. Like, you want your story to be a straight line. You don't want it to be a straight line with little circles. Uh, Paul Verhoeven in the commentary of Hollow Man said that and always stuck with me about like when like, you know, when you think, wow, why did they cut that scene? Well, here's why. Because your story is a straight line. And if you divert and go kind of in a circle, imagine a straight line with a circle on top of it. That's the plot. Like if that scene, if that's a scene in a movie, Cut that out because it is unnecessary to the straight line that is your story. That's what I think. There's a lot of that Halloween kills. There's a lot of circles above the line that could have been trimmed off. Uh, Because, again, it's an hour and 44, and I didn't want more. I wanted more Michael, which is what everybody wanted. I didn't want more of this, like, oh, what he's he's doing to the town. It was played up enough with just Jamie Lee saying it to me. I got it. With showing the crowd and panic in the hospital, that was enough. 
You didn't need the riot crap. But anyway, going back to political stuff, when they're banging on the door of the hospital trying to get to this inmate, one dude has a jersey on. The only person in the entire movie with a sports jersey on, and the number on it is six. The insurrection was on January 6th. Now, I also somebody else post that, you know, Haddonfield is in Illinois, the Chicago Bears, Chicago's in Illinois, Jay Cutler's number is six, it's a Jay Cutler jersey, maybe, but in film, let me tell you right now, there are no accidents in film. If you see something in the frame, it w- is there for a reason. Now, again, I could be bringing that into it, it could just be a Jay Cutler reference, but in a mob scene where they're breaking through glass to get somebody, and there's a big number six, I think that's a big arrow going, look, this is what we're saying. This happened in real life. This happens in real life, which again. No accidents, huh? Yeah. Game of Thrones, Starbucks cup? <laughs> oh, that just proves the time travel theory. I don't know oh, why everybody was flipping out. I mean, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those, those are goofs, not accidents. Ah, okay. <laughs> in, 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 the, in how what I'm stating, like when, when something is blatantly showed, or, you know, that was a, obviously a goof, you know, uh, uh, and you could say an accident. I'm not going to quibble over a definition, obviously, because I don't understand what exactly what you're saying and you have a point, but in terms of what is intentionally shown is not an accident. When it comes to numerology now, though, I think any number worn could have drawn lines to something. Absolutely. That's why I'm saying. Like I could be breaching with it, but yeah. however, it's, it's three coincidences, the subject matter, they're beating. They're breaking down a secure, like you know, the scene of people breaking glass, and a big number six is right there. Now he, they, they don't focus on the number six. Like I said, I could totally Three because sixes. of how our world. What's just one? Unfortunately, Mark of the beast. They all should have had six. Uh, you know, I, I could absolutely be bringing that into it because of how the world works these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying I'm wrong. I'm just saying that, you know. Because, again, we get on tangents on this podcast all the fucking time. In fact, it should be called 80s Revisited Tangents. Uh, but if you're going to do something political, like, again, Halloween 2018, the Me Too stuff that they, they claim was in there, you know, it wasn't over the head. I mean, honestly, I'm personally, I'm yes, I am a cisgender white male. So, of course, my opinion doesn't matter uh, because I'm, you know, because of what I am. I can't, you know, and I would, and regardless of all that, my orientation, race, or gender, I would never assume to understand what somebody's been through because I haven't been through that. You know, I'm a human being. I'm not a, you know, I don't consider myself a cisgender white man. I consider myself a human being. That's how I look at everybody. So when I see Halloween 2018, I see these three, you know, these three strong characters kicking ass. You know, when I was a kid watching Aliens, I don't know if I want to even go down this road because you know how that goes with <laughs> political shit. Like, you know, it, 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 it was never, it was never like, Oh wow. Look at this woman doing this. It was always, wow. Ripley is awesome. She's amazing. Wow. And then when you get older and you have kids and you watch movies like aliens where she's, you know, God, you know, I'd be right. You know, I wish I could be a, I hope if I was in a situation where xenomorphs were taking over a colony and I, had, and I found a child that resembled my dead daughter that I would like be that brave, you know, Sarah Connor. I mean, there's, you know, we're, we're so politicized this, these days because, you know, we're making these subdivisions as, you know, the great Rush song uh, states, you know, in the high school halls and everywhere in the world. We keep making these subdivisions, even within marginalized areas. You know, you're having you know, people in the gay community are, you know, split over Dave Chappelle, you know, and it's it's all it's all just so crazy. We can't just look at people as who they are, uh, like aside from the physical, so to speak, you know, and I think. I don't, know. I don't know. How did we get here? Jesus Christ. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> anyway, Jesse, let's just let's hit the brakes on that. Uh, so, Jesse, what have you, any, uh, have you had time to like do anything, play anything? Not really. Yeah, just him. Him and Jesse, get on then. Oh. Uh, I, I played the new Jackbox 8. That's all I've done. The what? new what? Uh, have you played any Jackbox games? Oh, no. Oh, you should try that. That's fun. Good time. It's a good you mean like family the family level thing? Uh, you mean like the you don't know Jack? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I haven't played. I mean, back in the day, yeah, but not nothing uh, since like like every year. My computer or two, had a CD They wrong. come out with a new Jackbox pack. Has like five games that everyone can play, and we play them over at Twitch.tv oh. slash Hardboard Games, and we just play the uh, Jackbox eight pack, and it's a pretty solid pack. Huh. Cool. I'll have to check that out. Yep. Did not know that. But yeah, I mean, any '90s kid remembers you don't know Jack. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I covers watched with like the head. 
the only thing I watched was the Batman trailer. <laughs> oh, the, I thought that I thought it looked awesome. Yeah. The only thing I don't like is emo Bruce Wayne. I don't like how he looks as Bruce Wayne. He looks like the Penguin almost, or like he should be the Riddler when he's Bruce Wayne, <laughs> as opposed to uh, Bruce Wayne. But I thought that I thought it looked amazing. I was, and of course I'm a Pattinson fan uh, unabashedly. Mm-hmm. If you only know him from Twilight, you're missing out because the dude is a phenomenal actor. Go watch The Lighthouse. Go watch Good Time. Uh, uh, really, really good actor. And yeah, Colin Farrell is completely unrecognizable as a Penguin. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, but it's that. got the cast. It's got, it, it looks more like, it looks like it's more, it's pushing the dark side of Batman because Batman is never meant to be happy. You know, he's never meant to be like the TV show. He wasn't meant to be like Schumacher. You know, he really honestly wasn't meant to be like Burton, but Burton had the most dark night we ever had until Nolan. But this looks like they're going like straight up DC slash Vertigo black label Batman. And I'm here for it. And, I, and honestly, I'll be, I'll be honest. Pattinson, I think, like, if you look at, you know, Batman, you, all you see in the comic, because his eyes are white in the comics, you know, he's, you don't really see his eyeballs, but just his, uh, you know, his mouth. Pattinson in that bat suit, he looks to me like the most like Batman mm. of any other Batman. Combination of the suit looking more angular, absolutely, because, you know, Keaton's was like the neck is like a foot thick. Uh, but like just Pattinson with that jawline and the way the mask looks to me, comic, like the best looking Batman in the mask. Like it looks like Batman to me, uh, but that's just me and we'll see. But I am, I will be there day one for that movie because it looks absolutely amazing. And Zoe uh, Kravitz. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> might, have a, might have a contender, Michelle Pfeiffer. We'll see. And Andy Serkis as, as Alfred. I mean, like it's the cat and uh. Ah, oh, god damn. Uh Jeff uh Jeffrey something as Commissioner Gordon, the guy from Westworld. What yeah, yeah. door? Great actor, like amazing. You know, always he always seems to be a supporting actor, but he's always amazing uh in what he does. Uh so I'm totally excited for that. Uh I did start playing the new Metroid, but I'm fucking stuck in this area and it's pissing me off cuz like you just keep going in a circle and I don't know what I'm missing. So I got to sit down and stare at the map, figure out where to fucking go. But yeah, uh, it's it's October. Go watch Halloween Kills. Uh, enjoy it or not, but definitely worth watching. Uh, oh, and then uh, a net, not last episode, but the episode before that, I kept trying to think of that cinematic term uh, about like if you show a gun in the first act, it has to go off in the second act. And Ben Wyatt, uh, or excuse me, <clears throat> Doom Slayer, uh, mentioned it. Uh, mentioned it. I mean, meant to, he mentioned it to me last week. I forgot to mention it on the podcast and to bring up to you. It's called Chekhov's gun is the term. When you show something and earlier in the film that's uh, significant, it comes back in the end. That is a, a plot device or whatever you want to call it. But the term is Chekhov's gun. I assume that comes from Star Trek because that's the only Chekhov I know. So I don't know. But yeah, anyway, don't for, and, uh, don't forget uh, if you agree, hate us, love us, 80s Revisited at gmail.com. On Facebook, 80s Revisited Podcast. On Instagram, 80s underscore revisited and as always, check out our good friends, both far – well, for me, they're all far, uh, far and away. But uh, John with Kiss Cajun Toy Review, he's got a lot of uh, cool Halloween-themed episodes up right now for uh, horror toys, especially like the NECA toys, uh, like Jason Voorhees, different versions, and some other stuff, and the Frankenstein, which I order mine, John, just waiting for it to get here. And, of course, uh, Ben Wyatt, uh, he's on the BAMcast, but, of course, uh, the alter ego of Doom Slayer and TCW. Check him out. Give him some love and some support. Mm-hmm. And all that kind of fun stuff. So uh, I think Shout that's it. Next week, Cody. it's our <laughs> – oh, yeah, his his girlfriend, Cody. Uh, just to be fair, I'm going to throw Jesse under the, the bus. <laughs> I didn't have a problem with Cody. Jesse is the one that has the problem with Cody. All right. No. Male Cody's. Oh, all good there. fun. I'll uh, specify. <laughs> no, all in good fun. Uh, so that was, uh, anyway, he sent a video, his girlfriend's name, Cody. So he sent a video of her reacting to us talking I mean, about her US, name. Cody is, a, well, I was about to say that's not a name, but I actually grew up with a, it was a girl named Cody. So I guess that would be a bad example. Okay. Just guys named Cody. Yeah. There you go. See, there you go. We clarified it. See, that's all we had yeah. to do. Guys named Cody. We're good. We're good. Cody, female Cody. Who's uh doom player's girlfriend. Yeah. So there you go. Anyway, next week we conclude our Halloween horror coverage with our final Wes Craven film that we will ever do on this podcast, because this will be the last film that he's done in the 80s that we haven't covered. And you might find it a little 
Shocking. So there you go. In case you didn't get it, it's Shocker. Yeah. Wes Craven's Shocker. Starring Mitch Pileggi of X-Files fame. So a lot to talk about on that one. That's a really, that's, that Shocker is a perfect example of the opposite of what this movie should have been to where it doesn't take itself seriously. You got a villain who's eating scenery left and right and it's fun. It's kind of aware of, aware of what it is. But more on Shocker next week for our finale of our haunted Halloween hootenanny of horror here on 80s Revisited. And until then, hopefully, I will remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! BB. BB. This show and more on Facebook.com slash AwesomePods. And follow us on Twitter at AwesomePods.